Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Uh, welcome those at the downtown campus and watching online. Uh, grateful to be with you this morning. There are a lot of things happening in the life of the church as you're, you're hearing about missions weekends and other things kicking off. Uh, I had some great news I just want to share with you too. Earlier this week, I was talking with Josh Evans, our high school student minister who is getting uh, kind of ready with a, a, a new work out in Gurley and joining that new work and uh, ready to see a new church planted out in that area. And he was just telling me about other local churches that are hearing about the news of this new work in Gurley and, and joining on and finding ways to support, send resources and prayers. Uh, Willowbrook across the hill, uh, the brook out of Madison. There's a church in Birmingham as well. And, 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 the, and as, that, as he was just telling me about the, the involvement of the city, uh, in this new work, it just I just started to feel excited with him about what God would be doing and this desire that we've always had at River Tree to uh, be more collaborative than compete. I, it's it's one of the one of the beautiful things when churches are working together, and to see a new work get launched in an area of our community uh, that uh, would reach people and connect with people and extend Jesus and share the gospel. I just started getting more and more excited about that. So you're going to hear more about this church plant as it gets moving forward and uh, meet some of the people a part of that core group, I hope, and then we'll, we'll be sending some people out. And there may be people here in, in this fellowship or downtown uh, that are going to sense a, 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 a calling and a desire to be part of this new work. And so we're just excited about seeing what it looks like to see a new church get started uh, in our area. And so I don't want you to miss that. It's also, it's also caused, I think, our leadership team to think more about the way we also do ministry across two campuses with Cove and downtown. As we think about, okay, this new church getting going, kind of like what are those kind of essentials? What, what are the things that a new church is going to want to make sure that they do well? It's also caused us to reflect, okay, how can, how can River Tree be a better church? Uh, how can we equip? How can we align our ministries? And so I'm going to be sending out an email this week, be looking for it. I want to talk about some things that I think we can do at Cove and downtown with our ministries from children's ministry, student ministry, guest services, uh, groups, things that we can do this year that are going to make it um, going to make River Tree a, a better equipped church uh, to disciple people, uh, help people get into the life of the church. Uh, I'm excited about that. I think there's some good days coming and opportunities for you uh, to be involved in ways maybe you haven't been, uh, ways to serve, ways to get connected, ways to lead out in ministries that are going to be really fantastic, I think, for, for our church for this next year. So be looking for that email as I send it out here in just a few days. We're in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to chapter 9, verse 18 is where we're going to pick up this morning. And it's a fantastic story, and some of you are going to know this story. It's going to sound familiar to you, but I hope uh, as we've already um, kind of sung songs that had this word uh, desperate in it and desperation, that there's a, there's a thread in that that is going to come through, I believe, in this passage that I hope is going to encourage our faith and teach us what faith, real faith, looks like. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, says, while, while he was saying these things, this is Jesus, saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, 
If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned. Seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. So if you look at this section of scripture this morning, let me kind of orient us to the um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of our gospels all record this story. And they all record it in a very similar way, that it is a, a story of two miracles that are intertwined. And there's this outer story of the leader coming to Jesus about his daughter. And then there's this embedded story inside of that. There's this woman who comes to Jesus in the midst of a crowd, a woman who's had this bleeding condition. And, and so you have two miracles kind of in this one story. And Matthew's commentary kind of narrows down quickly on Jesus' power. And so we're going to look at Mark's gospel, chapter 5, a little bit to see a little bit more of the story and get to know who are these two people that are coming to Jesus and how can we, we better understand them. Mark's gospel identifies this first, first person as a man named Jairus, and he is the leader of the local synagogue. So he's a respected man, uh, a religious leader. He's likely in charge of the synagogue and its facilities. He probably plans the, uh, the weekly worship gathering and the weekly worship service. And so he's a respected member of the community, but he's also, as you see, desperate. His, his daughter is dying. Now, Matthew's gospel jumps ahead in the story and says that she has died, which she does, as we're going to understand. But, but the, the, the fact that she's dying in Mark and Luke's gospel adds to the urgency. You, you understand why this man has interrupted Jesus. Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees about why he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He's dealing with John's disciples about the issue of fasting and why don't his disciples fast. And then Jairus comes right in, kneels at his feet, and begs him, pleads for him to come and lay hands on his daughter. That if you lay hands on my daughter, right, she will be made well. We don't really know what Jairus believed about Jesus at this point. But there's something, right? There's something that he sees, something in Jesus' power, something in his willingness and his compassion. That Jairus has come to him and believes, if I can just get Jesus to join me, if he can follow me back to the house, then my daughter will have a chance. She could be healed. She could be made well. And Jesus hears the request, and he's willing, and he agrees. And so Jesus and Jairus and the crowd begin to move their way to Jairus' house when we are introduced to this next person. A woman enters the story. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 25. It says, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So let's get to know her just for a moment with these details. We understand that she's been sick. She's been dealing with a chronic condition for a long time. It says 12 years. She's had this persistent bleeding. Mark's gospel says that she has suffered greatly under doctors, meaning she's gone to them. Their remedies haven't helped. In fact, they, they've made it worse. 
She, she hasn't just continued in this condition that she's had, but it, is, it has grown worse, and she has spent all the money that she has, has had to find some help, and nothing has helped. There hasn't been a remedy. Now, interesting, there's a, there's a, a the Talmud is a, is a book of rabbinical teachings, and there are remedies for a persistence of blood that you could follow, things that speak to this very condition. But let me just tell you kind of some of the suggestions that they make. The first one is take three pints of Persian onions and boil them in wine. Then give that concoction to her to drink. And as she drinks it, say, arise from your condition. And if that doesn't work, take her to a place where two roads meet. Have her hold the glass of wine in one hand and have someone come up behind and scare her, saying, arise from your condition. If that doesn't work, carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer and in a cotton bag in the winter. These are the things that she's probably done. This is the, this is the advice. This is the help. These are the things that she has spent all the money that she's had, and she has suffered greatly under doctors. Like, I, I, want, you to, I want to hear that, like, this is what her life has been like. And, and you can imagine how sad she is. You can imagine how she's suffered. You can imagine the shame. And it's not just this, but here's another person who is ceremonially unclean. She's unclean because of this bleeding issue, which means that she would be excluded from worship. She would not get to go to the temple and interact. She would not get to go to the temple to worship, to celebrate, to be part of the festivals. She would be excluded from that. She wouldn't get to go. She wouldn't get to go to church today. I missed church a few Sundays back. wasn't feeling well, right? And it happened kind of last second, and I was grateful for the team that just jumped in and, and made it happen across campuses. But let's be honest, Sometimes when you don't feel great and you miss church, it's kind of nice. <laughs> right? You guys, you know that feeling when all of a sudden somebody else, I mean, it, it's, I was grateful it all got handled, but when you get to turn off the alarm clock and everybody leaves and it's quiet and you can just rest, right? it, was, it was a quiet Sunday. And a few days later, I got better. And, and then you get, you get back to living. But what if you didn't get better? What if that Sunday in which what you thought was just going to be a break, it was just going to be kind of a one-time moment, was all of a sudden kind of a, a perpetual state in which you could no longer go to the place of worship. You could no longer go to that place where you would experience hope and encouragement. Not only that, but your condition of being unclean was seen as contagious. So you could not be around people like you used to. You, you, you could make them also unclean. Now add to that, that this issue of blood would have kept this woman from being able to be intimate with her husband. She was likely married. But this condition of being unclean, this condition and situation in which she wouldn't have been able to be intimate with her husband would have been grounds for a divorce in that age. So she was likely married and, and likely divorced. She was excluded from all worship. She was isolated from community. If she, was, if she had a family, if she was a mother, she wasn't able to function as such. 
She was destitute. She'd spent all she had, and she only suffered with a condition that just seemed to get worse and worse. I, I want you to get a sense of who she was. And that she's in this crowd. And she's been dealing with this issue a long time. Twelve years she's dealt with this. It would have been easy to give up. But she didn't. She hadn't. Look what Mark says in verse 27 of chapter 5. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She believed something about Jesus. Right? That, that, that's, what, that's what's beginning to rise up out of it. Jairus believed something about Jesus. This woman believed something about Jesus. Jairus thought if, if Jesus would just come and lay hands on his daughter, but this woman believes if I just touch him. It, it's one thing when the healer touches somebody. It's another thing when somebody touches the healer. Right? There's this dynamic, there's contrast that's beginning to form. Jairus and the woman are both seeking Jesus out. But you begin to realize Jairus is, is bold. He comes right up to Jesus in the middle of a group, in the middle of questioning, and he gets down, and she's the one. She's hiding in the crowd. She isn't bold at all. She's unclean. Jairus is respected. She's risking rejection. It would, it would be inappropriate for a woman to touch another man in a public setting like this, let alone someone who's unclean let alone someone who could make a, a prominent rabbi also unclean, right? This is what the gospel writers are beginning to share. Something about her faith, something about her, what she believes, her story is in a way, it's informing Jairus' story. Jairus comes to Jesus, Jesus, come with me. If you'll just touch my daughter, she'll be made well. This woman, on the other hand, is sneaking up behind Jesus just to touch his garment because she believes something as well. And it's as if her faith is to help Jairus understand what faith really is, what belief really looks like. She's the one hiding in the crowd, and yet she becomes the example. She's the one that shouldn't approach Jesus, but she does. She's holding on to something. And I, I want to tell you what I think she might be holding on to. Look at Numbers 15, verse 38. It's in this list of regulations and stipulations and rules about how God's people would function and how they would set themselves apart. And it says in verse 38, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. So one of the things that you begin to realize is God is distinguishing his people in these rules and these laws. Some of these rules and guidelines that you see throughout the Old Testament uh, pertain to clothing and what you wore. And the men were to wear garments that had uh, corners to them. So kind of, you know, they were square rectangular garments with corners. Uh, and as they would hang on the ground at, the, at these corners would be a f these uh, fringe or tassels. That's what we begin to see at the corner of these garments. And over the years, over the generations, these tassels took on symbolic meaning. And in fact, they, 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 would, they would represent things within the Old Testament. The knots on the tassels would represent the number of books in the Pentateuch. The, the spaces between the knots would teach us about 
God's consonants and his name, and each thread would, would teach you about a different law or a different aspect of God's word. So these, these tassels became very symbolic and very significant as they were worn at the corners of garments. In fact, you see in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus actually criticizes the Pharisees because they let their tassels grow long. Right, there were these long tassels at the end of the robes. In other words, it was this kind of showy spirituality that Jesus is questioning by the Pharisees here. But these tassels were significant. They were, they were something to, to take note of. And this particular word in Hebrew comes into play, and it's the word kanaf. And it means the edges of something or corner. But it also means wings. It has a double meaning. Kanaf, the edges of something, the fringe or the, the corners or wings. And this word comes into play, this word kanaf comes into play in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. As the Old Testament is wrapping up, as there's this uh, sense of what God is going to do through a Messiah, prophetic passage, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2 says this, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its Kanaf, wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So here it is, this healing. The healing within Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, this healing is going to be in the kanaf, in the wings, in the corners. So there's this idea that when the Son of Righteousness comes, he would usher in a ministry of healing in which people would be restored and blessed. And these healing abilities would be associated with this particular ministry of the Messiah. So when the woman crawls through the crowd and she reaches out to touch the kanaf, the corner of Jesus' garment, she's making a statement about who she believes Jesus is. She's, she's saying she believes he's the Messiah. That he really is the one that Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 prophetically spoke to. This work of healing ministry that would come. She believes that Jesus is the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. Well, look what happens. Verse 29 of Mark 5. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And I love this moment. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus, in this moment, affirms her faith. And this is what the this is what the woman's faith, this is what the gospel writers are trying to bring out, that there's something about what this woman believes, something about how she's reached out to Jesus that's supposed to teach us about faith. Faith is this life that is lived based upon what God has said and promised. Martin Luther calls faith a, a busy quality 
within the Christian, always moving, always active, right? Faith is when God's word and promises take practical shape in our lives. And we see that something's happening in her. There's a faith here that she's demonstrating. And Jesus says, you have faith. Her, out of this whole crowd, she's the one that has faith. It would have been easy not to come. Right, for her, it would have been easy to stay away and to be hopeless. But you're here, but you shouldn't be here. Right? You're in the crowd, but you're an outcast. But you're here in the middle of this. You're reaching out. When you could make someone else unclean, she's doing it because she believes something about Jesus. She believes something about God. And it's this, that God has something for her in Jesus, that what she needs is in him, that a Savior would come to rescue those that are desperate and bruised and isolated and hurting. And, it, and she believes that God is doing it through, through Jesus. I love this. Hebrews 11 says, Faith is a belief that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so not only, not only does she touch Jesus and she feels a power within her that heals her condition, but then Jesus, Jesus gives her more than that. Listen, Jesus gives her more. Jesus stops the whole crowd and he says, who touched me? Oh, right? The disciples are confused. You caught that in Mark's gospel. They're like, what? Like everybody? Like we're all, like it's a big crowd where there's a lot of people here. What do, what do you mean who touched me? But Jesus says again, he stops and he waits. And he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And I, I just... I just appreciate the slowdown because my life is so fast. So is yours. Like, like, do you, know, you get that sense? Do you know how fast we live? Do you know kind of how quickly we want things and expect things? I do it every time. I know I've said this before at some point, but I, I do it every time in the grocery aisle, like in, in the lane, in the checkout lane. If you see me in a checkout lane at Publix, know that I have already played a game with everybody else in the checkout line. I've checked out what they're looking at, what they're buying, how long the line is, and I am making an audible decision constantly about where am I going to check out that's going to be faster than everybody else. I look for the minivan in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru line, and I'm like, I think I can go in the store and out before that minivan gets their food. <laughs> right? I don't like to wait. And if I have to wait, like I'm peeking out the window, like how far, like I know where I came in with the last car in the drive-thru line. How am I doing? I don't like to send emails, I like to send texts because I know you've read it. I can see some receipt, I can know, like that hit their phone. They know that I have said something and now the response seems to be more immediately. I, I, you know, this is what we do, like we want things fast, we want things now. We live in a very fast paced culture and Jesus wonderfully slows the whole thing down. She touched him. She got her miracle, and Jesus says, oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait just a minute. Who touched me? Do you think Jesus doesn't know? God asks questions like this in the Scripture. He asked Adam and Eve, where are you? It's not because he didn't know where they were. It's because God wants an encounter with us. He wants more than something personal. He wants something more than something powerful. He wants something personal. He, he, wants, he wants her to leave with more than just a meeting. He wants her to leave, right, 
with, with an exchange, more than a miracle, right? Something intimate. And so he says, hey, who touched me? She eventually, she eventually comes. She, she declares herself. God wants her to know that it's not, the relationship is not in the hem of the garment. It's not in the corner, but it's being in the presence of Jesus. And it's her faith. It's not the garment, right? It, it's not a, a piece of cloth. It's in Jesus. It's, it's faith in him. And Jesus slows it all down, and he calls her out, and he says, it's your faith. And then he says, go in peace. Go in shalom. He's, he's talking about more than being healed. He's talking about being whole. Go right with God. And that's what he doesn't want her to miss. And that's the more. That's what Jesus is offering her in this moment. He, Jesus isn't just touching his clothes, right? That's enough. It's this pronouncement that she needs peace. It's well with you. It is right with you and, and God. Rightness, wholeness, and Jesus makes sure that she gets it. Now, this whole thing is happening with Jairus going, hey, we... <laughs> I've got some place to be, right? This is all great, right? She's got her miracle. You're talking to her, right? But I have a daughter that's dying. But the whole thing's happening while Jairus is there, watching, waiting. Come on. Verse 35 of Mark 5. While Jesus was still speaking, there came, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe, right? Believe, believe what? What is Jesus asking him to do here? And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping, wailing loudly. It's the professional mourners. The funeral has already started. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was and taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome in amazement. And he gave strict instructions that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. I love this. So they moved from the woman, right, who's touched the him, who's left in peace, who's left with shalom, and they're moving to Jairus' house, and he is undone, right? Because now the word is, she's not just dying, she's, she's died. And Jesus says, hang on, right? But it's worse. That's, that's the issue, it's worse. And Jesus goes into the house, and as he grabs the little girl by, by the hand, he says, Talitha Kumi, and I, this, 
this phrase, it's Aramaic, and I love the way we, it's been saved for us. Like, we get to hear Jesus say these words, and these words really mean, it means little girl or, or little lamb. It's the same thing if, if you went into your child's bedroom and said, sweetheart, honey, you know, it's time to get up. Like, that's, that's what's being expressed like any parent, right, would, would lift their child kind of into the new day. And this little girl is facing the greatest enemy that humanity has ever known, death. And Jesus just takes her by the hand and says, honey, get up, arise. And she does. I, there's, a, there's a number here that gets repeated, right? The woman dealing with the issue of blood, how many years had she been dealing with this, 12 and then Mark's gospel tells us that the girl is 12. I just, I love this. I, I love maybe what's happening here is it's this, you know, sometimes 12 feels like a long time and sometimes 12 feels short. Right? It's this, this issue of time that's, that's being brought to the service. This woman's been dealing with this bleeding condition for 12 long years. And Jairus is looking at her daughter going, she's only 12. It's so short. It's so fast. And that is the, the God's sense of timing. It, it, it's, it confuses us. There's this thing in which God is moving in because Jesus delaying, delaying with this woman for how many years? It's worse. Delaying with Jairus not going to his house immediately? It's worse. And yet in both situations, the delays bring far more to the woman and to Jairus than they expected. The delay for the woman is that she just didn't get a miracle. She found herself in the presence of Jesus and she left with peace. The delay for Jairus wasn't just Jesus laying his hands on a dying daughter. No, he got to see a resurrection. He got to see something even more powerful. And this is what we begin to see, that there's a greater miracle. Why would we ever want to hurry someone this loving, this powerful, If you hurry Jesus, you may miss the greater thing. You may miss feeling loved. You may miss knowing his grace and his power and his peace. Right? This is what we, we begin to realize, that Jesus isn't hurried. He has all the compassion. He has all the power. And God's delays bring about more than what we thought. I hope that encourages you this morning. That God's sense of timing, it, it does confuse us, but it always brings more. There's always more that Jesus is doing. And the woman and Jairus, they model things for us, right? The woman is this, when, 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 when all of life, right, when life begins to crowd around you, maybe all that you can do is just creep up behind Jesus and touch the, he, the hem of his garment. Maybe that's all that you can do with the circumstances that you're dealing in right now. And what you begin to see is faith starts small, it starts scared, but it begins to turn into something much greater, stronger, fiercer. She shows us this, that things that are fragile and desperate, there's always more. She's afraid, but she comes. And her faith is commended, even though it's small and weak. It's foolish, and yet this is the way in which she's going to experience peace. It's a way that we too, faith being small, inadequate, Jesus still receives it. And he calls us into a relationship. He calls us into his presence and something even more. Jairus teaches us that as his daughter died 
And Jesus is telling him just to hold on, just to believe. Jesus is letting us know that those things that, have, that are broken, those things that are lost, those things will be found one day. That through Jesus, the things that we have experienced great loss, the things that we think are broken and gone forever, those things will be restored. The things that you think are broken will not always be that way. Through Christ, through what he's doing, something better is coming. And Jairus, I love this, he takes Jesus to the place where he is most hurt, most disappointed, most concerned. 